Again, welcome to Freedom. It's good to see you here this morning, and uh, a word of welcome to those of you who are joining us online. It's always good to have you when you can't be in the room with us to uh, be a part of worship with Freedom through Freedom Online. Um, I don't know how many of you were here last Sunday. There's always some ebb and flow, but uh, if you weren't here, I will just tell you it was a really neat day. God did some really powerful things as power was poured out for particularly for healing and um, it's always nice when God interrupts the flow of worship because he's got an agenda that's uh, bigger than our plans for the day. One of the results of that was I only got to preach one little portion of the sermon from last week, one out of the five points that I had thought I was going to be preaching. So I walked away not only feeling good about the day but thinking I got a real big leg up on next Sunday. I I know what I'm preaching next week because I've already got most of my sermon already outlined and I thought that for about 48 hours until uh, the Lord just made it really clear that I don't get to finish preaching that sermon today, that he had a different word, a very clear different word for us today, addressing the same problem, but uh, reframing it considerably. And so I'm, I'm really excited about the word that the Lord has given for us today. And um, as we turn our attention to the word, I just want to invite you, I mean, we always want to bring hearts that are open to whatever God would say, but... Um, I just really felt impressed as we were worshiping that we probably just need to take a moment to just get still and to all take the opportunity to just in a a fresh way invite God to speak in a way that would bring conviction and life change. And so I'm going to invite you again. Would you just bow with me and let's just take a moment to just be quiet and still in the Lord's presence. I think sometimes we get just a little too afraid of quiet and yet it's in quiet moments that God speaks in ways that we're most able to hear him. So would you let your heart just center in on the God, the Father who made you and the Lord Jesus who is seated at his right hand. Would you give him thanks for his love for you today? Just tell him again that you love him and that you want to know him. And would you ask God today to speak a word to you personally? Would you invite the Holy Spirit to do a new work in you that would bring about real change so that when you walk away, it's not the same person that walked in the door this morning? Father, we love you and we welcome your work and uh, we, we hope that what we've already brought this morning, that our songs, our praise, our worship has been pleasing in your ears and in your sight. But now we're to the point where we just really long to hear you speak to us. And so we ask you now, cause your word to come alive and change us by your power. We welcome your work. We know every time you're at work, the enemy opposes that. And so we just pause and again declare Jesus your Lord. And in submission to your authority, we now speak to every demonic spirit that would seek to influence the lives of the people gathered here today. And we command those spirits you're bound in Jesus' name. You must leave these people in this place and go where Jesus assigns you to go. But you are not allowed to remain here or to return here. And we plead the shed blood of Christ over all who gather here today. And we pray that in this room, Holy Spirit, that you would would feel the freedom to work and move and speak in ways that would bring glory to the Father and the Son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. 
Well, as I said, uh, the message that I had intended to preach, thought that I'd be preaching today, was from Romans 8. And one of these days we'll get back to Romans 8. It is a great chapter. And I know some of us are so OCD, it drives us crazy to have an outline with, with blanks not filled in. If that's just killing you, you can see me later and we'll fill in those blanks from last week. But we're not going to do that in this service today. And I'll go ahead and tell you that uh, for a couple of you have probably been fighting hyperventilation because if you've been around for a long time, you've looked at the outline and some of you have counted the bullet points and said, there's 20. We're going to need lunch. We're going to need a lunch break. Not to worry. This is not a 20-point sermon. Um, what you're holding is not a normal sermon outline. It's not one of my normal teaching outlines. That's why there are no fill-in-the-blanks. You're, you're just holding my actual preaching notes. I, there's not another p- word on my page from what you have. I didn't want you doing fill-ins on a teaching outline today, and it's a one-point sermon, so you don't need fill-ins. I'm just trying to give you the meat of what I'm going to talk about today in writing it for two reasons. One, I don't want you to have to even be distracted to the point of having to take notes on what we're going to talk about today. And I wanted to give you more of the body of what I'm going to say today because the Lord's just so impressed on me, the importance of what we're going to talk about today. And I want you to have a lot of it in writing so that you can go back and have to chew on this and reflect on this in your own time and with your small group because I believe what we're talking about today is so vital. As I said, the core of what we're addressing today goes back to what we talked about last week. If you haven't been here lately, we're in a series uh, entitled The Unseen War. We're talking about the different realms that we struggle in, uh, the, the things that cause us temptation, the things that trip us up, the things that get us off course spiritually, and then they affect us relationally and emotionally and in all these other ways. They just get us to a bad place. And the three different realms of warfare that we enter into, the Scripture talks about these in terms of warfare with the flesh, all of the stuff inside of me, apart from anything else that can influence me, that just the broken, wicked things in me that want to pull me away from God and what he wants to do in my life. Secondly, warfare with the world, dealing with the fact that there is a system around me that would try and draw me away from loving God and and living in a way that would honor and please him. And then thirdly, warfare with the demonic, warfare with real, living, personal evil. We'll talk about that in weeks to come. What we have been talking about for the first couple of weeks has been warfare with the flesh. And last week we looked at at the beginning of Romans 8, one of the most important things you need to understand if you're going to begin to to address that. But I will tell you, the the Lord spoke really clearly this week about why I needed to reframe the the last part of what I'm, I'm sharing with you today. As we talk about warfare with the flesh, one of the things that the Lord said this week is, I don't even want you to call it that this week. I want you to refer to it again and again as our warfare with the flesh. I want you to use another term for it today. We're going to talk about, instead of it being victory over the flesh, we're going to talk today, talking about the same thing, but using a different term, as being victory over self. Because a lot of times when we talk about warfare with the flesh and and issues of the flesh, it's very easy to think of this only in terms of the real gross and obvious sins of the flesh. You know, we'd sit here and say, well, I've got fleshly issues. I have problems with the kinds of language that comes out of my mouth or, or what I put in my mouth or what I drink or, or lustful thoughts or, or sexual temptations. Or, you know, we could just go down the line. I struggle with gossip. All of these things that we would put in a nice, neat little box and say, yes, those are all the sins of the flesh. And I've got problems with a couple of those things. And that's why I really need God's help to fix those couple of problems. And to that, the Lord says, the problem is so much bigger 
and so much deeper than what you want to own. Because it's not just that there are a couple of fleshly things that you return to again and again. The problem is so much more fundamental. You have a problem with yourself. But the other thing the Lord said really clearly is, I want you to reframe the whole conversation. That we need to start and refocus in on not so much the problem to begin with, as what the goal of all of this is. And the goal is simply this. The goal is revival. The goal is that each of us would live personally in such a way that the life of Jesus would be freely poured into us to the point that it would fill us up so that his victory, his goodness, and his power not only resides in us, but it spills over from us and it affects everybody that we come in contact with. That's a picture of revival. And revival at the corporate level is simply where a bunch of people who are walking in revival, who are just living with that constant reality of just the life of Jesus every day, just poured into them, filling them, spilling over into others. When a lot of people begin to do that, whole communities, regions, and nations are impacted where you get a bunch of people living in revival like that. Now, I think if we got honest with each other, I look around the room and there are a lot of, a lot of saints in the room. By that, we just mean followers of Jesus. A lot of believers here. I'm sure there's a lot of believers watching online. And I think probably if we got real honest with each other that we would probably admit essentially the same thing. That for many of us, there's been some window of time in our lives where we've, we've experienced some of that reality. Where you have felt the nearness of God and the life of Jesus poured into you and being expressed through you. For a lot of us, maybe it was early on in, in your faith walk. Maybe it was when you first came to faith in Christ and everything was new. And just having Christ in your life and experiencing the reality of the Spirit of God being inside of you, His presence and His personality and His power all in you, that it was just so good. And it just it affected your relationships. It affected how you thought and how you spoke. It was just so real. You were alive in Him. But then some time passed. And what had been so red hot... So personal and so real began to cool off. Probably slowly, imperceptibly at the time, but enough so that you arrive at a place somewhere down the line that you look around and you go, It's just not happening. I'm still a Christian. I still go to church, still read my Bible, I do the Christian stuff. I wouldn't look at my life and say, it's him in me. It's his life poured into me. I've just kind of become spiritually, blah, just sort of spiritually dead. What do you do with that? What do you do when you've just, you're a Christian. You know you're forgiven. You know you belong to the family of God. But you just feel so spiritually dead. What do you need? I'll tell you what you need. You need revival. You know, if somebody in the room today experienced a cardiac arrest and they just suddenly fell out on the floor and stopped breathing and their heart stopped beating, we wouldn't say they need to improve their diet. They need to exercise more. What would we do? We'd get busy. Some folks would get busy praying and some people would jump on top of them and seek to revive them. They would do CPR. They would take somebody who was dead and seek to make them alive again. And that's what we need. We need the life of Jesus poured into us freely. And I've got great news for you this morning. It is not complicated. 
It is not hard to get back to that. It's accessible for everybody in the room, and you don't have to wait six months to get there. You can begin to walk in that today. But there's something that you're going to have to do. It will cost you today if you're going to live with that reality. The starting point for the scriptures, from the scriptures for us is Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, My old self, everybody say that, my old self, self is the problem, my old self, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. See, that's a picture of what we're talking about. Who's the one living in this body? Is it my old self or is it Christ? Because there's not room for both. Paul said, my old self has died with Jesus. I'm, my old self isn't who's residing in this body anymore. Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the goal. That is absolutely the goal for everybody. You want to know the goal of the Christian life? That is it. Christ in me, the life of Christ, the goodness of Christ, the power of God in every one of us. If you want to live a different kind of life, it is not complicated. You just need to be rightly related to Jesus. It is that simple. Because when you're right with Jesus, he lives in you and his goodness and his power reside in you. His victory lives in you. Do you realize Jesus is always victorious? Everywhere he goes, all the time, victory, victory, victory. He just lives in victory. Do you realize in heaven right now, they are constantly singing the praises of Jesus for his victory? I'm not sure we get that. We want victory in our lives, and so we try hard to accomplish things or to overcome things. And you don't get victory by working hard to overcome that, that fleshly problem. The way you get victory is you get right with Jesus and his victory gets passed on to you. So you have the power to now walk in victory and be a different person. It's all the difference in the world. It's the difference between exhaustion and frustration versus real rest and peace, joy and victory. How do you get there? Well, it's not the route we think. And Jesus didn't make it some great mystery. He put it this way. If any man or woman would come after me, quite simply, the invitation, you want to be a follower of mine. You want to get in on what I have. If any man or woman would, would come after me, let him deny himself. There's that, that word again. Let him deny himself daily. And do what? And take up your cross and follow me. Here's the rub. Here's the hard part. You and I, we're beyond fixing. We're beyond reforming. I don't care whose self-help books you're reading. I don't care which devotional book you're using. We are beyond any hope of reform. There's only one thing you can do with us. And that is kill us. Our old, rotten, sinful self has to die so that the life of Jesus can now reside in us. And the real rub in that is, it's not a once and for all thing. 
We want that. In fact, some of the most popular churches in the world are the churches that give the impression, hey, if you'll come up here and let us do our little holy voodoo on you, you'll get the woo, you'll get the blessing that you've been looking for, and forevermore, all of that stuff will be conquered in your life. Hogwash. It will not. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself daily and take up your cross. What's a cross good for? Oh, we've turned it into a beautiful little golden piece of jewelry. We hang it around our necks and it's nice. It was not made to be a piece of jewelry. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a reminder of the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. But the point of a cross, not a symbolic cross, I mean a real cross, an eight or ten foot high cross, it's only good for one thing and that is for killing people. And when Jesus said, you're going to have to take up your cross every day for the rest of your life. You know what he's saying? He says, every day you're going to have to enter into this reality where you die so I can live. You die tomorrow so I can live. You die on Tuesday so on Tuesday Jesus can live in you. And you will deal with that every day for the rest of your life. But you can walk in victory and power every day for the rest of your life. It all hinges on this one thing. Are you willing to let Jesus put your old self to death so that his life can freely be poured out in you? Because this is the only way to walk in victory. There is no alternative. Will you do that? It's what Paul's talking about in Galatians 2. Understand the life of Jesus cannot be revealed in us until the proud self within us is broken. This is the beginning of revival. Brokenness is always the first key step to walking in revival. Charlie opened the service today by reading a passage from 2 Corinthians 4. A portion of what he read is in your outline. Paul said, At all times we carry in our mortal bodies the death of Jesus so that his life also may be seen in our bodies. In In our lives, just the daily experience of recognizing there are things in me that are so wrong, that are so eaten up with just my desires, my need for control, the things that I've got to have, that I think I've got to have to be happy. And a life of brokenness is simply an appropriate response to the conviction of God that brings those things to light out in the open. So that each day, as we realize what's going on, that we can go, oh Jesus, I I need your blood here. I need your grace here. I need your forgiveness. I need more than your forgiveness. I need your touch so that that dies today, so that you can just let your life come out in me. And we can't just manufacture that. The truth of the matter is, there's probably nothing in life that will bring you to that point short of getting to the cross. You see, it's only at the cross... That we are truly broken. All kinds of things go on around us. All kinds of things put us under pressure. But it's only when we come face to face with the reality of who Jesus is. And what he's done for us. That we're willing to allow this exchange to take place. Because I think because of a couple of things. For one. We've gotten our minds kind of twisted. By the bad things that have happened to us. Or that have happened to the people that we care about. You ever found yourself going there that you look at at the tragic events in somebody else's life or maybe in your own and you come to the conclusion, God must not care a whole lot or he just doesn't like me. You ever been there? You ever been to a place where life was so tragic, it was so hard, it was so bad 
And you prayed for it to be better and it didn't get better. And you came to the conclusion, God just doesn't care. Or he must have kind of a twisted mean side to him because this isn't good. He's supposed to be such a good God. And so we can get this real twisted idea of who God is and what he's like. Life absolutely could bring you to that conclusion. Can we just agree on that? I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings because I know this probably lands too close to home for some. But I get what we're saying when people make this this statement. But I I get a little turned off sometimes by how Pollyanna Christians can be. People who will just be like, oh, look at the sky today. How can anybody see the sky and say that there's no God? And I just think very easily. Because they didn't just have to look at the sky today. They have to look at somebody that they love who's dying in excruciating death with all the pain of cancer. They have to, to look at a loved one who's trying to recover from you know, rape or, or some kind of abuse or something. And they, they look at that and go, yeah, the sky was pretty, but this pain is so real. How could God be good? Can we at least appreciate? It's a tough dilemma for the world just to look at what's going on and go, sure, there's a, there's a God out there and he's a good God. Can we appreciate why that's hard for people? And why we ourselves... Sometimes we get a twisted perspective about God and what he's like. It is only the cross. The reality of the person of Jesus and what he has done for us that snaps us back into a a clear frame of mind. Life is hard. And the world is destructive. And our bodies are weak and sick and broken and bad things happen. But when we get back to the cross and we see the reality of the fact... That God gave his own son, who didn't just suffer for a moment of time, who went through so much public ridicule, so much opposition, so much agony for us. Not because he had to, but because he so deeply loves us. Suddenly things come back into focus and everything else dims by comparison. When we see all the difficulties of life against the backdrop of the cross... We can say together, this is hard. I don't know why it's going on. I don't know why God hasn't fixed it, why he hasn't brought that to an end. I don't know, but I do know this. I know God loves me. He's proven it. Nothing that life could ever throw at me could ever disprove the depth of God's love for me. At the cross is the only place that we begin to see things in perspective and that we begin to recognize the holiness of God. The perfection, the true, absolute goodness of Jesus. And how warped and self-centered we really are at the core of ourselves. And we have the opportunity to respond with real brokenness. Paul said in Galatians 6, For my part, I'm going to boast about nothing but the cross. Nothing but the cross. Say it with me. Nothing but the cross of our master, Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, I've been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns that they dictate. It's at the cross that we have an opportunity to begin to enter into victory on a daily basis. But you've got to get this. The only life that's ever pleasing to God is the victorious life of Jesus. I know we could all say yes to that in a Sunday school kind of way, but we don't live like that's the case most of the time, do we? 
We, we live as if, if I'll try harder, if I'll be better, if I could just... If I could just be more consistent in my quiet times, if I could just stretch my prayer time out, if I could just quit doing, saying those things and letting those words come out of my mouth, if I could just get rid of those ugly thoughts, if I could just be better, God would be more pleased with me, right? And the result would be I would get more blessings. Isn't that how it's supposed to work? I know some of you are looking at me like, I think it's a trick question. (laughs) Doesn't it feel like that's how it's supposed to work? And the truth of the matter is, that is not how it works. The truth of the matter is, no matter how hard you and I try, we'll never be more pleasing to God because we tried harder. There's only one life that pleases God. It is the life of His Son, Jesus. And the only way you'll be pleasing to God is for Jesus' life to be poured into you on a daily basis. And the only way for Jesus' life to be poured into you on a daily basis is the old self that was you has to die on a daily basis. An exchange has to take place. And it doesn't come through a whole lot of effort. But we can never be filled with his life until we're prepared for God to bring our lives to death constantly. And that really is the the challenging part. Because death to self, dealing with the flesh, death to self, victory over self, means letting go of a bunch of things. It means that I've got to let go of my plans. I've got to let go of my money. I've got to let go of my control. I've got to let go of my past. I've got to let go of my agenda. Because all of those things are the fundamental sins of the flesh. It's all about me. It's all about what I've got to do. What I've got to control. I want to plan how I live my life. What I own. How much I make. When I retire. What I'm going to do with my day, my week, my my next 20 years. I want to control that. Why? Because self in me is so strong just like it is in you. And every day for the rest of my life, that has to be put to death and the life of Jesus take the place of it. And thank God. The Lord, I don't put that to death by going, I've just got to stay focused. I've got to work really hard to put that to death. No, I've been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live. I just have to allow Jesus now to come in and do a fresh work every day so that my need to control all of that and to, to possess all of that just dies again and again and again so that his life is manifest in me. This kind of brokenness, it's, it is the beginning point to revival, but it is only the beginning because our brokenness just deals with the negative side of the equation. The other half of the deal is the life of Jesus has to be poured into us to, to experience revival, poured into us in a way that, that overflows onto other people and it, get, it happens in the person and work of the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus in us. And that is completely a work of God's grace. It's not because we've been better. It's not because we tried so hard. It's because we were open to receiving a grace gift from God. Isn't it kind of funny that for every one of us when we got saved, we had to get to a place of realizing, I can't do anything to earn this. You realize that, don't you? You can't get saved until you get to a place of realizing, I can't deserve the favor of forgiveness of God. I'm going to have to receive it as a gift. Accept what Christ has done for me as a gift. 
But it's like the moment we receive the gift of, of forgiveness and salvation, now we step in and it's like, but now it's all about me. I've just got to work harder and try harder and do more. And the Lord said, it's always been a matter of grace. I want to pour my life into you. I want to fill you with my spirit and all the power and the fruits of that that come along with it. But it's not going to be because you tried harder. It's going to be because you received a gift just like you received your salvation. Somebody say amen because that's good news. I'm going to be worn out all the time if that's not the truth. But to receive those gifts, something has to be emptied out. You can't receive unless there's an empty set of empty hands and an open place to receive that. God, here today, here, wants to pour out His Spirit and all that comes with that. The victory, the power, the peace that comes with that. But He can only pour it where there's an emptiness and an openness to receive. Somebody said, you pour out water, water will always find and rush to the lowest place. Oh, let that sink in. You, you pour water out anywhere, and you can be assured the water's going to find the lowest place to go into. That's always a picture of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He will never work his way into the, the proud heart, the strong will. He will always work his way into the, the lowest place, the heart that says, Less of me, more of him. Less of me, more of him. Get rid of self. My control, my agenda out of the way. I can't earn it. I'll just receive it. The water of the Spirit will find its way to that low place. Now it would be very easy to come to the conclusion that what I'm talking about today is a good thing. It's a good thing for a priest or a monk who's going to live the next hundred years in a monastery in a far off place in the world to do. But it doesn't sound like a very good idea for an American living in a comfortable world that invites us to enjoy all kinds of good things. The truth is, this sounds like a miserable life, doesn't it? At some level. I know, you think it's a trick question again. It's not. Isn't there a part of what I'm saying that sounds like, that sounds great, but it sounds like it's just really hard, probably pretty miserable. Die to self, die to self. I mean, I, listen, I get it. The, the guys that are making millions preaching on TV today, I mean, you know the ones I'm talking about. The, the ones, they are going and blowing and they are raking in the moolah because of it. I can assure you none of them are preaching this message today. Because this is not the message that sells. This is not the message that will just pack the church for five services. It will not. The call to come and die at the cross daily. It's not a popular word. On the surface of it, it sounds like a miserable life. And it is not. This is so counterintuitive. But the truth of the matter is, this is the invitation to the life that your heart longs for. Where you have real joy, real peace, real power, real direction, real purpose and meaning in life. It's the only way to really get there. But it's not the direction that we think that it is. We, we have to pass through this valley of the shadow of death. It's more than the shadow of death, the reality of death. To get there, and it's got to happen on a daily basis. Tragically, most people don't live there. Because we prevent Jesus from pouring his life into us on a daily basis. You know the only thing that will keep Jesus from today pouring his life freely into you? Sin, in any of its multitude of forms. 
And that's where we immediately probably want to run back to. Well, let's see, how am I doing? Have I, have I been cussing a lot? Have I, have I been thinking lustful thoughts? Have I been on the Internet to bad places? Have I lost my temper? Have I been getting drunk? Have I been partying? Have I been blah, blah, blah? You know, our, our sin list. Have I done those things? And we might come to the conclusion today, I've had a pretty good week. Maybe Jesus could fill me up. And we've missed more than half the equation. Because for Jesus to fill your cup, for most of us, the biggest things that have got to go are things that begin with the word self. I put a bunch of them in your outline on purpose. So I want us to have to go home and think about these. So many of the sins of the flesh are the kind that aren't openly manifest. Where we could go, yeah, I saw them out Friday night. They were committing the sins of the flesh. No, the sins of the flesh that trip most of us up are the ones nobody sees on Friday night. They're things like self-effort. I got this. I got this. I don't need anybody's help. I don't have a problem. I'm dealing with this. Sin of the flesh. Self-sufficiency. I'll ask God for help if I get into mine, but up until then, I'm supposed to be taking care of my life and my family, and so I've got this under control. I've got a plan for providing for my family, for providing for my retirement, dealing with sickness. That's how it's supposed to be. You take care of yourself. It's the American ideal. Sin of the flesh. Self-seeking. That's right. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do good, and I want people to notice. I want people to recognize what I have done. I want to be a success. I'm never going to say that out loud, but I I want people to notice. Self-indulgence. You're right, I'm going to buy that for myself. You're right, I'm going to trade cars when I don't need to, and I'm going to get a bigger house when I don't need a bigger house, and I'm going to, I'm going to have more. I'm going, to, I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing, and I'm not going to ask God in advance because God is supposed to want to bless me anyway, and I'd feel blessed if I got to do that. I'm just going to ask Him to bless it after I've already put the down payment down. Sins of the flesh. Selfishness. Self-defensiveness. Oh, this just gets all on my toes. Well, you shouldn't be able to talk to me like that. I don't appreciate that. Thus, I'm going to set you straight, sins of the flesh. I need to defend myself. Self-consciousness. I bet they think I look fat in this outfit. I probably need to get a bigger shirt. I don't want them to notice. My hair looks terrible today. Self-consciousness. And some of us are going, now that's not a sin of the flesh, is it? Yes, it is. You see, it's all about self Worried about how myself is going to be perceived by others. Self-pity. It's just not fair. My spouse doesn't work nearly as hard on our relationship as I do. It's not fair. I have to do everything around this house. Some of us live our lives as victims in our own minds. I'm just a martyr. I'm just living for Jesus and others all the time. Nobody appreciates all that I do. Sin of the flesh. Eaten up with flesh because of its self pity. Sensitiveness. Well, that hurt my feelings. I can't believe you said that that way. That's the flesh talking. Touchiness. Well, I'm sorry. That's just how I am early in the morning. I'm just not a morning person. The flesh is strong early in the morning in some of us. Resentment. Yeah, I remember what they did, and I'm not going to forget it, and I'm not going to let it go. I'm not going to let them hurt me like that again. Resentment, sin of the flesh. Fear. 
Oh, that can't be a sin of the flesh, can it? You better know it is. I've got to protect myself. Those kind of people would hurt me. Those kind of situations might put me at risk. I have to protect myself. I couldn't trust God with that. Couldn't trust God to put me in that situation. Couldn't trust. I mean, I can't give that person this money. How am I going to pay my bills? I can't give a full tithe. How in the world am I going to take care of what I need to take care of? I've got to take care of my, what? Myself. Anything springing from self is sin. This is what the flesh looks like. Now the good news. If you will ask Jesus, and if you will allow Jesus, he'll show you what's in your cup. It really is so simple. Everybody this morning has a cup. And your cup's full of something. It's full of Jesus, it's full of you, it's, it's, it's full of something. And if you'll let him today, he'll show you what's in your cup. The good news is, he will do more than show you. He is willing to bring his blood into the equation. So that he not only can cleanse you from the guilt of the garbage that you've been carrying around in your cup. But his blood is so powerful and effective, it doesn't just erase the penalty that's deserved. It doesn't just erase the guilt that we would carry because of that. It erases the problem itself on a daily basis. Now, in terms of what we're talking about, the blood of Jesus is mystical in terms of the depth of power that it possesses. But in terms of day-to-day victory... It has a shelf life to it. Now, when you get saved, the blood of Jesus is eternally effective. So don't get screwed up in your theology by what I'm about to say. But in terms of walking in daily victory, there is a shelf life to what the blood of Jesus does in your life. I'm just saying in practical experience. When, when God shows you the reality of where you are and what's in your cup, and you think, I've been doing pretty good. I've been coming to church, been reading my Bible, saying my prayers. I've not been cussing as much. I haven't been having lustful thoughts and eating like a pig and getting drunk. I haven't done any of those things. And I had not run with any of the girls who do those things. So I must be doing really good. Jesus can fill my cup. And Jesus lets you see the reality of what's in your cup. And you suddenly, your breath is taken away. Because you realize you're so eaten up with self. And it may be in the form of fear or self-indulgence or selfishness, whatever. But, but you just realize how much of you is still in the cup on a daily basis as Jesus shows you that. If you'll invite him, I'm telling you, this is not theoretical. This is not just way out there. I'm talking about in the moment by moment, day by day, as you step into those situations where the flesh just suddenly is large and on the scene. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're rocking along. I have my quiet time. I'm, I'm listening to praise music. Jesus, I'm just at a happy place with you right until you bump into the next human being in your world. And suddenly it's not all Jesus. You're wanting to say Jesus' name in a different way in that moment. You know what I'm talking about. And suddenly it's not quiet time. It's hot as a firecracker time. And you're wanting to use some of those nice little words that don't work on Sunday morning. What do you do in that moment? You stop and you go, oh Jesus, there I am again. There's the thing you've been showing me. I need you, Jesus. I need your blood. 
I need you not just to get me through this moment without blowing my top. I need you to put that old sucker to death. I need your blood to touch me. I need the reality of the cross in this moment. Let me die again today. And now you live in me. I want to tell you, it works. It makes all the difference in the world. I mean, in the middle of that moment where you just go, I cannot believe you said that. I can't believe you did that in front of other people. I'm fixing to straighten you out. But when you pause and go, oh, Jesus, that's not you wanting to straighten this person out. That's my old, rotten, angry, self-centered, who I am. Jesus, let your blood touch me. Put that man to death so that your life can be lived in me. I'm telling you, something happens in those moments. I wish it were a once and for all. That old sucker's coming back again tomorrow. He's going to try again to come back out. And the blood of Jesus is going to be available again tomorrow. To set us free in those moments so that the life of Jesus can flow through us. We just have to live moment by moment with that reality. That the, the power of Jesus' blood will cleanse us and deliver us from the things that feel so natural. Now, on the, the plus side of this, one of the clearest signs that we are walking in this reality is that the peace of Christ will rest in your heart and mind. How many of you this morning would say, if Jesus were here today and, and said, everybody that signs up is going to get it, who wants the peace of Jesus in your life? If you did not raise your hand, you are a fool or a liar. You just are, you know. Everybody wants the peace of Christ. I find so few people that I bump into who seem to their lives truly be characterized by a deep abiding sense of peace. When the life of Jesus is being poured into you, the peace of Christ just is a consuming thing for you. But it works two ways. It's wonderful to be on the receiving end of that. But this issue of the peace of Jesus also becomes for us a warning light to realize, uh-oh, there's something we've got to deal with and take back before the Lord so that the blood of Jesus can bring change and forgiveness. Paul says in Galatians 3.15, one of those little passages we all love, we probably most of us can quote, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let's all say that together. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That one's worth remembering. One more time. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We would all say, yes, if there's one verse of Scripture I want to be real today, let it be that. Let the peace of Jesus rule in my heart. But here's an interesting thing to note. In the Greek, that word rule can also be translated perfectly as referee. Let the peace of Christ be the referee of your heart. I watched enough football yesterday to make me a very happy man. Which means I overdosed on college football. I love this time of year. Now, I hate in a game where the referees seem to be in the spotlight more than the players. But, you know, sometimes, especially in the early season, that's just the way it is. Players are breaking the rules. They're playing sloppy. They're not playing disciplined. And so what do the referees do? Well, they throw a yellow handkerchief and they blow their whistle. And what does the, the blowing of the whistle and the waving of the arms mean? It means stop. Stop what you're doing. The game cannot proceed because something is being done in a wrong way. You're tackling by the face mask. You're going to injure somebody. 
You're, you're trying to control the opponent across from you by holding them, and that's not allowed. You're doing something that's destructive that is not the way the game is played, and we're not going to proceed until you change that thing. You can't just keep tackling with a face mask. You can't just keep holding. And we're going to keep stopping the game as referees until you change this. And what Paul is saying is, let the peace of Christ be the referee in your hearts. And here's how that works. When you get off track and you start letting self have control and you start going back to what feels like second nature for you, and you don't even realize what's going on, the Lord, out of His grace, says, I'm going to blow the whistle. I'm going to let peace be removed from your life. And you're going to feel anxious. You're going to feel afraid. You're going to feel just this disturbance inside of you that in that moment you're probably going, why do I feel this way? This isn't good. I'm not happy. I, I, I just don't, I don't feel good about my marriage. I don't feel good about my job. I just, I just don't feel peace at all. Do you know what's going on? God is blowing the divine whistle. The peace of Christ is the referee in your life. And he's going, Time out. Stop the game. There's something here we have to deal with. And I'm removing my peace from you so that you'll recognize, oh, wait a minute. I need to call time and, and recognize what's going on here. This is the thing that I've allowed to take back over in my life. And I don't have to spend three months dealing with it in the next 30 seconds. I can say, Jesus, thank you for showing me that. Thank you for stopping me and making me realize something's off today so that I can say, oh, Jesus, I need to die here. I need your blood here. I need you to change me so your life can come in again. And you know what follows that? Peace returns. It's a gift. You don't achieve peace. You don't earn peace. You receive the peace of Christ when you've got an empty cup to offer to receive. You know what the next question is? How much peace are you carrying with you today? How much is the peace of Christ just filling the depths of your soul on a daily basis? Are you walking in peace? Are you anxious? Are you afraid? Are you worried? If you're feeling those negative things, God's been blowing the whistle, saying, I want you to return to peace. I want you to have peace. I want you to have joy. I want you to have meaning. But there's an exchange that's got to take place that starts with brokenness. Another little thing that's worth knowing about that. Nobody else gets to rob you of peace. I'm going to say that one again because some of us need that one twice. Nobody else gets to steal your peace. That's all on you. You may live with an absolute donkey of a human being. We'll leave it at that. You know what I'm talking about. That may be what you live with, but they can't steal your peace. Because they didn't give it to you in the first place. It came from Jesus. They don't have the right to take it away. And you may say, yeah, but they just get my goat. Well, quit telling them where your goat's tied. Quit, to, quit letting them know that they can, can do something that throws you off. We, we do that. You know, we just, we let the other person know, if you do this thing, I'm going, whoa, I'm just going to go over the top. I'm going to drop some weapon of mass destruction from my lips upon you if you do that. When we have that kind of relationship, we don't have any peace. But you know, you can live with a lot of chaos and still have the peace of Christ. 
In fact, here's the, here's the rub in that. The passage that Charlie read. You, you ought to go back and let this be part of your quiet time this week. The passage from 2 Corinthians 4. Do you remember where it started? The passage starts that what Charlie read today with all of the different pressures and difficulties and problems that come along. He says, we've got this treasure in jars of clay. It's wrapped up in something that's not pretty at all. It's, it's a crude, rough jar of clay, but we carry this treasure. What is this treasure? It's the life of Jesus Christ. It's His holiness. It's His beauty. It's His power and victory. We carry all of the person of Jesus in us, and the jar of clay is the sucker that is Mark Price. It's like, that's just messed up. I'm supposed to see Jesus through Mark. Paul said, yep, it's like wrapping the most beautiful treasure in the most crude clay pot. But here's the good thing that God does. He lets you experience pressure and difficulty, hardship and stress and abuse. And along the way, do you know what it does? It cracks the pot. It breaks the pot to the point that the pot says, I don't think that I'm the point of this whole thing. I don't think I'm what other people need to see. The more cracked and broken I get, the more the life of Jesus gets to be expressed through me. That's the goal. Clay pots, broken, emptied, and filled up with the life of Jesus. I know because I've had to to wrestle with this reality for a long time in my own life and I have to be taken back to this again and again that initially... Two different things get stirred up in me when what I've shared with you today gets brought back to the forefront in my own life. There's a part of me that so longs for what we're talking about. Longs to live in this reality all the time. Can't you identify with that? I mean, if you could just get it by signing a list today, wouldn't everybody sign it? Oh, I want all of that. But then there's another response in me that says, that's just too hard. I, I've just, I'm so eaten up with me and my plans and what I want. I just, I think it'd be too much trouble. There's too much to be, too much in my cup. There's too much of me to be gotten rid of. I don't know that I want to have to let God deal with that many things in my life. I think I'd be overwhelmed if I said yes to what God's saying today. And let me just offer this word of encouragement and comfort. You will not be overwhelmed. If you'll respond to what God is saying today... He's not going to hit you with a tidal wave of conviction today about 70 different things in your life that need to change. Can I tell you what he's going to do? Most likely he's going to show you, because he's loving and he is a father, he's going to show you one thing that needs to die. And if you'll on a daily basis, when that comes back into play, say, oh Jesus, I need you here because this old thing in me is rearing its head again. I need your blood again. He will begin to give you victory day after day in that area. And you'll begin to experience more of his life and joy and victory. And as you move forward in time, he's going to bring one more thing to light. And he's going to allow you to do the same thing and to begin to walk in victory in that. You see, he's playing the long game. He's playing the lifelong game of letting you walk from victory to victory to victory as you experience his death and resurrection, death and resurrection again and again. But there has to be a beginning point where we say, less of me, more of him. Not by my effort, but by his blood. Not by my strength, but by his power. 
The goal is accessible for everybody in the room. The life of Jesus freely and fully poured out into you. You don't have to train for the next six months to get there. You can begin to walk in this today. But it starts with our brokenness, our confession, our repentance, and our desperation. Would you join me as we turn to him together in prayer? Father, I ask you today to help us not to focus so much on ourselves as we do just on you. I pray today for just a clear picture of your goodness, of your deep love for us, of your victory and your full provision for us. And in light of your goodness, would you help us to catch a glimpse of who we are and where we are? Holy Spirit, we ask you today to speak and to move with power and conviction in our lives. The thing about what we're dealing with right now is nobody else gets to do any of this for you. This is about you and God. The change that happens will affect every relationship that you have, but you can't get there without you doing business with God. It's all of His grace, but it's so tied to our willingness to respond. We're going to have just a a ministry time and a response time, and I'm not even going to invite you to stand right now. I'd rather we just stay in a prayerful mode. And to begin with, Tony's just going to play and sing over us, and in time, you're welcome to join in with him. But we're going to have some leaders here at the front, kind of in the corners of the room. If you want somebody to pray with you and over you, there are folks who'd love to do that. But honestly, more than anything, we're just going to let the the front area here just be an altar area. If you just want a place to come and kneel and pray, but I, I'm going to tell you, there's there's not more of God here at the front than there on the back row or any other place in the room. I just want to invite you to go before the Lord and ask Him to search you and to show you where you are. Maybe the beginning point is just to say, God, I realize I'm not hungry enough for you right now. I can't even muster the right hunger and desires. So would you just begin to stir up in me a hunger and a desire for the the right stuff and for you? If you don't already have a relationship with Jesus, but you would be interested in beginning that, boy, there are leaders going to be here at the front that would love to talk to you about that. But let's just use this time to respond to God. And whatever He says, would you just say yes in agreement and just get real with Him? Would you open your heart to receive His grace and His power? Would you ask for a fresh touch of His blood in your life as we respond to Him in this time? Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, We would love the opportunity to meet you personally anytime that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.